Welcome to another episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we discuss horror in media. And today we're going to be discussing black and white horror movies. I'm Mitch. I'm Murr. And I'm Jonathan. And uh, which three movies did we discuss? Did we watch this week? Somebody remind me. I forgot. So we actually got to see Creature of the Black Lagoon oh, in, in theaters. Oh, yeah, which in is theaters. That's right. We did do that. That's <laughs> like a once in a lifetime kind of opportunity to go and watch an old film like that. And then we watched... Uh, Nosferatu, and then The Wolfman on yep. DVD. Uh, one of these movies was released. Uh, Nosferatu was released in the 1920s, like 22. 22. Yeah. The other two were like early. 55, 54, I think, were the other ones. Like Wolfman was 55, I want to say, and then Lagoon was 54. Yeah, Nosferatu is definitely part of like the German Expressionist movement. Yes. Which is yeah. why it's so important to not only film, but to horror films as yeah. well. Also a, a silent film as well. Yep. Yes. Also a silent film, um, great soundtrack. I've heard that the um, a lot of the original uh, sheet music for it was actually lost uh, beforehand, so they actually had to recreate it. So like you can't get original, like what the actual orchestra played. Oh, so you're what? hearing, yeah. So if you're getting any copies now, it's not originally what was played for the movie because it would have accompanied like an orchestra playing it. So they just had to recreate sheet music for it. Did they, so they just improvised? Yeah, yeah well, they basically, well, they, they had sheet music, some of the sheet music. Oh, only some of it. Yeah, only some of it. So well, some shit. of it did not survive because, uh, Brand, is it Brandon Stoker is the author of Dracula? Bram Stoker. Bram, Bram, Stoker. Bram Stoker, excuse me. Bram Stoker, uh, ordered the, um, film destroyed when it was made because it went again, um, English copyright laws and whatnot as well during the time. So, yeah, so what you're getting, and some of it was saved, though, so that's why we have recreations, as well as the sheet music being destroyed, probably part of that as well. We should uh, probably just dive into Nosferatu if we're going to Yeah, if we're going to start there. doing yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. Um, I agree with John that it is a very big German expressionist film, but it also paved the way for a lot of Gothic expression within the 1920s. Um, right, and if you're not familiar with German expressionism or what like gothic would even mean at that point it's essentially referring to the way that the lighting looks in the film itself to how the characters are lit how they're going to present themselves on stage um excuse me john i'm pretty sure you're talking about the amount of eyeliner in this, in this movie <laughs> that all of the characters have that's all really the, the gothic makeup? that's actually the gothic expressionism totally yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know what I did? I did like, and I'm not sure if this is in the original one, but in, in the original movie, but in the uh, one that I saw, they have they have blue lighting, um, like so like a blue-white contrast for a daytime, or for nighttime, excuse me, for nighttime scenes. So scenes at night are kind of have like a blue hue to them yeah, sort of deal. And then during like the early mornings, they have it orange. And then during like normal daytime, it's just black and white, very normal. Yeah, so that they did that originally. Um, I'm not sure who the director was for Nosferatu, but I do remember reading that his inspiration was from the old film, The Doctor of Ca uh, Caligari. And they do the same thing with the blue filter and the orange filter depicting daylight and nighttime. I, I really like that with the movie, though, because when I walked in, when I walked in to watch this movie, I watched it at home with a few friends for our Halloween night. Um, I I was not expecting any sort of coloration whatsoever. Maybe like the slight like kind of yellowish hue that those old black and whites tend to have. I noticed you can also like see a lot of the shutter parts. You can tell where they moved the camera or they were opening oh, and closing the yeah. shutter in the movie <laughs> as well, which is very funny. They were just figuring out how to do like jump cuts and being able to just leave the camera and then change what's in front of it, turn off the camera and then turn it back on. 
So yeah, no, the um the, the shutter animation you can tell when they were just experimenting with different types of transitions, especially really quick snappy transitions. Well, they figured out that if you could leave the camera exactly where it is, they would bury the bottom of the tripod in the ground so that it didn't get moved from its spot. And then they would turn the camera off, put whatever it was in front of it and then put it back on. So they like that was the first beginnings of stop motion and they would use that for like cutting people in and out or for when people like disappeared like in a puff of smoke that's usually what they were doing for those scenes so they like just started finding out that they could do these editing techniques with the camera i thought the uh editing i agree it was like very interesting for some of the shots like the beginning of stop motion when you see like a carriage like running or like driving away it's like cut into like different sections i'd say like oh right shots and it comes away really hilariously fast. Like, you expect like Looney Tunes music to be playing while they're running away from stuff. It's they so did goofy. that a lot with moving items or objects. They it, ended up like, it looks like it's sped up for a bit. And uh, they do that with the Wolfman too. Uh, for like the scenes where the dude transitions, uh, it's just basically a picture of him with minimal hair, then more hair, and collectively yeah, growing. But they're just cutting. Is, they're just yes. cutting sections and putting them one after another. It's but, it's yeah. really awesome. Uh, one of my favorite parts of Nosferatu uh, was the part where they go total negative for one of the carriage scenes. It's super creepy and like super like kind of disorienting. Uh, you mean when they they like invert it everything? Yeah, yeah. Co- uh, total color invertation. Yeah, I, I shit, that, that one did stand out, and that was interesting. I feel like it's. Something they ended up doing while they were developing the film, like in post-production, because most of their effects were added on as just like filters on the film itself, like they would paint over it. And then that you didn't have to do anything else besides that. That's why you have that one hue over everything that you were looking at. Um, I liked the I liked the what they did with uh, vampire mythology in this one as well. They got really down to the nitty gritty with it, especially when he decides to move homes. When Nosferatu decides to move houses, they take coffins full of dirt and transfer them over because vampires are not able to travel without carrying their dirt from like their home place. It's like a really old like vampire mythological thing. Really I've never old. heard that one. It's a really old one. So yeah. so he has to maintain a connection to like yep, his, his original home yep the dirt he crawled out of oh okay literally. so where he got changed maybe? yeah essentially yeah because they're supposed to die first so he probably died was buried and then he has to take that dirt in coffins with him and then he has to he couldn't vampires can't actually traverse water so he uses a boat right to do all of that and everything and doesn't go by land because he wants to you know secretly get in there and then the allusions to the black plague also as well because it's set in the 1800s as well this this particular story if i'm correct he goes inside the coffin right like, yes yeah, yeah. yeah and totally. he takes other ones full of dirt and they're specifically for like this scientist that one is exploring like the mysteries of life and it's this really <laughs> silly like mid segue point where this weird scientist gets all this dirt and he's excited about it i feel like they were it. definitely making fun of doctors at the time that like were just all kooks they didn't really know what they were doing mm-hmm. and it was just like making a caricature of that so it was definitely something that I thought was funny because he just didn't look like he knew anything. He was just like guessing at most of the things that were happening around him. But either way, I liked it. I also like that the vampire is not your newer age vampire that's like really pretty and like gorgeous looking. It's like an ugly ass fucking vampire. <laughs> oh, it's not a suave. Uh, what is that? Uh, right. Bella Lugosi. Yeah, exactly. He's not, he's not, not good at talking to people. And he's not, yeah, he's yeah, not. He's not yeah. I mean, he, well, he kind of is. He owns like a, a manor and stuff he's, like that. He's like but, rich, well, sort of. Yeah. 
Nosferatu. Nosferatu. No, 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 no. The actual name of the vampire. He has a specific name. I don't remember that. I just know Ooh. they just call him Nosferatu. I'll, yeah, you should find it real quick. Yeah, Maybe like the quick. Count, they might call him that. Um, Hutter is the name of the main character that goes to his estate Count at first. Count Orlock. Orlock. Yes, there we go. Orlock. Dang, yeah. what a gnarly ass um, name. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. The, the film Nosferatu is like, the, the film itself is very critical for film analysis and uh, film inspiration throughout the ages. But it's one of those movies where it's also the the making of the film is a little bit almost as if more interesting than the film itself. How so? Tell me. Uh, it's just <laughs> with the rights thing uh, with Bram Stoker, you know, coming down on him. The director saying, you know, what, fuck you. I want to make a Dracula movie. You can't have the rights to Dracula. Well, I'm going to make a movie inspired by Dracula and call it Nosferatu. <laughs> so he went over to get permission at first. Uh, as that... far as, as far, p- potentially, um, or the film was already made, and then but Bram, Bram, and then Bram, Bram Stoker said that no, like all of this needs to be destroyed because you're you know f- muddying my work with your nonsense. I like that. I like that he was like, "What the fuck are you doing? What is yeah, this? You no. can't just make a movie no, of my no, book, no. stupid." <laughs> this is probably a time period too where they're like, "Film isn't going to go anywhere. What are you doing? Yeah, exactly. This is nonsense." It's all in the fiction writing. Yeah, <laughs> duh. Literature only... is king. Yeah, that's the only thing that matters. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're muddy enough my original piece. Why would you? I feel like if you had approached, uh, who was it, Mary Shelley, she'd be like, yeah, definitely make a movie. You should do that. Maybe. I've never met I've ever met Mary Shelley. <laughs> <laughs> she would be like, I don't know, two, three hundred years old right now? Yeah, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean she might she might be more open to the idea, but some of those some of them might be more protective of their work at the time. I think she wouldn't be. Yeah. Or but, I'd like to think so. You know, I you'd like to <laughs> Just ideally ideally no. Mary Shelley would not have it's a problem. Frankenstein. Yeah, exactly. No, ideally she would not have a problem with it. But I really don't know though, John. I really don't know. That's another one we need to do as well. We I need, love we need... I do love Mary Shelley. I mean, are you talking about the one with Robert De Niro in it? <laughs> what year did that come out uh like the 90s holy early 90s? shit i almost forgot about that i actually enjoyed that movie a lot i need to go rewatch it's, it because i don't remember much about it does a really good job because it's really uh classically like it really follows like that old storyline but we should definitely read mary shelley's frankenstein the original one and the, come talk the about it. fucking book is amazing yeah like even this many years later it's like really a good piece of literature that you should go through I also really liked um, the who was it? Who's the guy who played Dracula in later movies? Gary Oldman. Oh yeah, I loved his version of Dracula because he's such a like a an aristocrat like prissy vampire who just occasionally eats people, <laughs> and was like trying to court this girl the whole movie. My favorite Dracula is the '91 version with Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder, because I have a soft spot for Winona Ryder. I mean, don't we all have a soft spot for Winona Ryder? Yeah, she becomes most powerful in October. Yeah. <laughs> when all of her movies play. <laughs> yeah. Winona Ryder wakes up from her basement and spreads her wings and flies on October 31st through the air, dropping it, candy on all the little It's literally children. like her, Feruza Balk, <laughs> all the girls from Charmed. Yeah, all, all, all of them. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Sabrina the Teenage Witch and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all of them. Everyone always remembers them. They'll never die. Yeah, because never. people watch so much shit from that time. I think the best part about uh, Nosferatu is people my age are uh, most most people my age. I'm around 22. They only know Nosferatu because he had a cameo in a SpongeBob episode. 
That's right, he the, did. Uh, the hash slinging slasher episode. I think that was a Halloween oh, man, episode. Man, that makes me really mad. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, everyone was like, what was that? It's just like, who's flickering the lights? Nosferatu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, oh, no. So, what scenes really stood out to you in this film? That you're like, either it's impressive, like, it's impressive cinematography, or you liked the acting or whatever was going on in the scene? For me, the atmosphere takes the cake for... Um, and anything i mean the atmosphere and way that they are shot that the atmosphere is what is the main character for me for this one i i is a funny movie like watching it now and with like a group that's doing like a peanut gallery sort of thing it's it's sort of a funny movie to watch it's kind of like a lot of the things look very silly because of the stop motion the atmosphere and music do definitely set a mood that you cannot get away from I was never legitimately scared during the movie, though. But there are, yeah. like, like the part where he rises out of the coffin, like, with nothing holding him up, it seems, was very cool. It was very stop-motion-y, or, like, the doors opening on their own and stuff were pretty creepy. It's a um, very impressive shot, him coming up from the coffin. Yeah, exactly. Oh, is this where it looks like... Uh, I, He's on the ship. Yeah, and his feet are just, like, there, and it kind of, like pivots he comes out of the exactly. out of the coffin yeah, yeah i love that too yeah that's a good that's a very good scene um i liked a lot of the um like a lot of the expression from the actors as well in this one but since they're doing silent film they really have to amp up like how ex- how much expression they have for certain things oh yeah so, or whether it's excitement or sadness or happiness or fear some, or fear yeah they really have to like overdo it and whatnot. they were basically like stage actors like they had to bring all of their expression into their face into their bodies so that you would know what the hell is going on especially if they couldn't speak there was like no voice recording for any of these and they just kind of played music over it so it was really good in that sense uh also i feel like i should note that it's so old at this point that it's gonna be campy to us no matter what we do to it like when we're watching even you watched alone you'd be like i can't like not laugh at certain parts (laughs) But at the time when people were making this, like there's people who had never even seen a film. And so seeing something like this freaked them the fuck out. There was uh, like one of the original things that was ever put onto film was the guy who captured uh, a train going by and he placed the camera kind of near the front of it as the train was coming towards it. When he first showed that in a theater, people freaked out. They thought the train was going to come out of the screen <laughs> and like run them over. And so, like, people are just getting used to the idea that you can put images up onto the screen like that. And you have other films like uh, A Trip to the Moon. Uh, yes. Which was, like, the weirdest surreal movie. And then, like, impressive fucking uh, editing techniques that they put for that. Yeah, a lot and, of stop motion in that one. Yeah, they, like, would do a stop motion of somebody, like, vanishing. but And then, like, a puff of smoke would show up. And it looks seamless. Like, you watch it now, you're like, I don't know how the fuck they did something like that. But really, all they did is turn the camera on and off. And then set up the scene that way, and it worked really well. But I have to say, for that time period, it's similar to, like, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which is... I fucking hate that movie. And, like, I know it's supposed to be important, like, for film expression, but I had to watch that movie in one of my film classes, and it's way too fucking long. How long is the movie? It's, like, almost three hours. Oh, no. And it's not even, like... They're not talking. (laughs) Did you ever watch Citizen Kane? fucking hate citizen kane <laughs> <laughs> would it like i'm gonna go off on a tangent about citizen that's kane fine for a go moment. for it i want to hear this so it's like first of all citizen kane is just about some fucking rich kid 
who is mad that he never got his goddamn sled when he was a kid. So he takes it off. He takes it out on everybody he fucking knows until he's super old and then never tells anybody. That's what Citizen Kane is about. <laughs> Isn't it like four hours of that? It's so long. <laughs> it's basically about this dude's life and you get to see all the choices that he makes. And it's supposed to be about like your place in society and how you can make an effect. But like, it's just a rich dude doing fucking douche moves from the cradle. And to I had to watch grave. that shit like three times. Oh. You poor soul. That's really sad. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> That's what happens when the film program doesn't have any variety. Oof. Ooh. Oof. Oof. Hot, you you see UCSD getting called out right now. Now San Diego State University. San Diego State. Excuse me. San Diego State getting called out right now. Pardon me. I can say shit now because I have my degree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not in the classes anymore. Mad shit. It's chill. Um, I, we have to talk about the staircase scene with the shadows. Of yeah. Hell yeah. So, so what happened in that scene? Uh, it's just, it's just him walking upstairs, but it's shot with his shadow, and you could see the long nails and everything like that. It's it's shot wonderfully. So this would be what you usually see in like promotional things for it, right? Where it's just his long shadow cast onto the wall as he walks up, and then like the hand going forward. It's the equivalent to the creature, the Black Lagoon, reaching out of the water, mm-hmm. and like it plays music as he does it. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right, anyway, we'll get we'll get to that later. <laughs> the thing is, uh, Nosferatu is one of those movies that it is important for you to know as a film critic or film lover, but it is also something that's very outdated. The inspiration for it has been wide, though. Uh, the Hammer, not the Hammer films, the Universal films of the fifties took heavy inspiration from it, and then the Hammer films that came. Right after the Universal. What ones. what are all the Universal films? Well, I don't know the Universal films, but like I know one of the ideas I think that was wrapped from Remus Ratu is having like a really ignorant protagonist protagonist who like disregards the book that tells him everything about the vampire. He oh, just reads yeah. it and he's like, This is a silly book and just throws it on the ground. That turned into like an archetype for horror movies. Yeah. Where you have this person who's like a fucking idiot. Or they're really smart and they don't see the obvious. Yeah. I I have to talk about killer clowns from outer space just again because i love that movie <laughs> it's, it's, it's the police chief oh trying right? to make, trying to make a joke out of officer mooney huh not not in my town you little pranksters everyone's like dude people are dying he's like yeah nope. right someone got like <laughs> murdered the scene before <laughs> like the whole town is pretty much dead and they're like dude clowns they're like nah you guys are dumb <laughs> that's pretty funny and yeah it, it is an archetype that you know derived from right. this movie um, you want you wanted me to talk about the Universal well the Universal films, right? monsters so so if you want to go check them out I've been posting all of the Universal monsters on the Instagram so you actually get an image for it but it's things like Frankenstein Dracula the Bride of Frankenstein the Mummy the Invisible Man the Wolf Man and then uh, God what was the last one Phantom of the Opera Phantom of the Opera as well as wait did you ever say the Invisible Man yeah okay. Creature from the Black Lagoon. And Creature from the Black Lagoon. These were all made by Universal, Universal what? What are they called? Universal, Universal Studios? Studios. Pictures? Universal yeah. Pictures? Universal there's Pictures. like there's a specific name for them. Either way, it was all one company that made it. It was Universal. <laughs> and they, they pretty much set uh, the precedent for what certain types of films are going to look like. And these were pretty big budget films, too. And so they became super iconic, and I wanted to put them all up during Halloween, so definitely something to check out yes the universal uh pictures classic monster series hell yeah oh it also has the the hunchback of notre dame as well i forgot about that one that's actually like a really dark story 
<laughs> he ends up just like killing himself in the catacombs. Yep. Oh, that's that's <laughs> oh, Quasimodo. Yeah. Also, fun fact because the MCU is a thing. This is the first shared universe in the entire movie industry ever. Yeah, they all exist in the same universe. So there's a possibility of like crossover because Universal owns the rights to everything. So I don't know if they ever did that though. Uh, Abbott and Costello. Oh, that's fair. That. You know, Abbott and Costello go see the mummy, or they see Frankenstein oh, or Dracula, they see all of them. and it's it's really a peanut gallery kind of movie because they're just make they're cracking jokes while the monsters in front of them, like, oh look at this guy, you know, he looks like he has a bunch of toilet paper all over him. So the mummy, the mummy's like, <laughs> <laughs> it is fun though. But the Universal monsters, we should probably probably start talking about Wolfman. You think? Yeah, no, I, yeah, this is a good time to start into I, the Wolfman. Well, I, I will ask this: What were your impressions thoughts and everything um you thought about nosferatu i think i liked how pretty much how they decided to do the lighting and how they decided to dress everybody it was like appropriate for what kind of character he was supposed to be and that part to me was believable it was just what threw me out was the really expressionist movement that i felt like it should have just been a stage play but that's just me looking back onto a really old film, and there's nothing I can really do about that. Either way, it was enjoyable, and I, I've seen it before. I, I saw it as a part of like those collections you find in Walmart that are like 100 movies in one fucking pack, and it had, it had Nosferatu in there. <laughs> it's actually a really good bang for your buck. Yeah, I mean, I, mean I, like, I liked Nosferatu, but I don't know if I would sit through and watch it one more time. Um, but it's a good it's a good movie to see where horror came from as far as film is concerned. It's a really good like starter place. Yeah. And uh, like like John said, the lighting is really good. Um, the makeup and um, design for everybody is really good. Uh, I also I also just like that I really like the mythology that's used for vampires in that one because it's a lot of really old tiny stuff like 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 just like the dirt can't cross water the like the like uh, the idea that he can command people through shadows and things like that as well was really interesting so it made him almost like a actually very scary villain for the film as well even though he's not actually as present as much which i feel is another trope is like not having the monster be on the screen 100% of the time you know what I'm, you know what i'm saying like they kind of kept him sort of mysterious and he only shows up a couple times more so in the beginning because like an entire break in the movie where you don't see Nosferatu doing anything and then later on, then he comes back at the end and just like dies to his own arrogance, essentially, as he's chasing down the <laughs> wife of Hutter. Right. I, uh, I do like that as well. I will say as a piece of cinema history, it's a great movie to watch um, as a horror fan. Also a lot of fun. I think my biggest take from it or what I love about it the most is the architecture of the German town as well as the contrast between the, the lighting Um a big another part of, that I really like is it has tropes that continue within vampire lore, such as um, dying from sunlight. It, that was never a thing, but they made it a thing from this movie, and now vampires cannot touch sunlight. And so I really like it. That. Ends up being something that makes sense, though. Like yeah. I could see that happening, where it's like, yeah, they can't go into full sunlight. I want to say one other thing, a weird, like, uh, what is like an Easter egg out in the world of Nosferatu is there's a magic card called Angry Mob that is literally a shot from Nosferatu's Angry Mob scene where they're running down like the alleyway and there's the houses on either side and they're just kind of off to the lower left-hand corner. 
there's a card called Angry Mob that has that as the picture on it. Oh, shit. Yeah. It's super funny. It's told directly from it. It's like basically a painting that's just exactly <laughs> from Nosferatu, but that's just a silly Easter egg. <laughs> I think another big thing that I like about the movie is the daylight and nighttime differences in the color. Yeah. Uh, just the filter. Just It makes you feel like you're watching something very old. It's such an easy way to do it, too. Like, you don't have to worry about adding in effects. Yeah. And it's it's just a good movie for cinema cinema ah cinema buffs. So I think we're gonna probably just transition now into the Wolfman. Um, well, one other thing I did okay. want to mention was this idea that they are now creating rules for what you're gonna see in film and especially in horror film because horror films are all about the rules. Especially when it came to the 80s and they started making slasher films. And whatever you saw on screen, there were certain things that would happen, right? Like, if you saw uh, somebody having sex, they're probably going to die, like, within the next few scenes. Because that just doesn't happen in the 80s slasher films. So, this is, like, what came before it. They started creating these creatures. Then there was, like, certain ways that you could beat it. And so, they did this so that your protagonist could find ways to escape and then you also, as you learned these rules, you would watch other films and start applying those and be like, okay, like you can kind of anticipate what's going to happen. Ooh. What did you guys think about The Ooh. Wolfman? Uh, I like Lon Chaney Jr. as an actor. I did not like the script for this movie, though. Nope. What, what about the script was throwing you off? I have to say the characters, the the clothing the setting and the pieces for the forest and the occult that surround it are done very well my only problem with the script itself is that we really don't go anywhere with it it's just a man who you know gets a manor in his name uh gets bitten by a werewolf everyone's trying to figure out what's going on and then he dies <laughs> you know what I noticed Frato even mentions the werewolf in the forest and they use a hyena for it. That was that was something really funny, but I didn't I to be honest, I fell asleep during Wolfman because oh, no. I was not engrossed in this movie at all. I was kind of like I saw the Wolfman part and that's the last thing that I remember is where he's running around and he kills a guy in the middle of the woods. And I just didn't really like I just didn't really connect with any I didn't really like the characters all that much. I mean, I just wasn't that that impressed with it, but I'm sure you'll all have something more to say about Wolfman and when I liked Creature of the Black Lagoon like ten thousand times more. That one's probably my favorite. Oh yeah, from like from the ones we've chosen here. Um, the Wolfman was well made as far as like the production goes. Yes. So the money they put into the sets, to the costuming, to what they're doing there, I think maybe they may have had a problem with the writers and the director, maybe. Um, I haven't looked into it too much, but it does seem like maybe they were not agreeing on things. And so they didn't put all their money into something like that. So I agree. The script is kind of weak. Yeah. And compared to the Creature of the Black Lagoon, it's like that's a full-fledged story, like from beginning to end. Yeah. Like they with really a, thought that out. Actual character conflict and yeah. like growth and whatnot. And then in the Wolfman, it's just like guy gets manner, guy gets bit by dog, beats dog to death with stick, turns into Wolfman, <laughs> kills people. And then they People kill, kill him. Wolfman. Yeah, right. exactly. that's it. That's and, the, there you go. And the ending begs for more because it's mm-hmm. it's really it's a really funny ending. When I saw it the first time, I saw it with uh, your roommate Nate, mm-hmm. and we were just like, "Oh, that that's that's how they're gonna finish the movie." All right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they decided to do something like that because they they even remade this movie much much later with uh, Benicio del Toro. 
Oh. He was he was the Wolfman. Well, technically speaking, Anthony Hopkins' character, his dad is the Wolfman, and then his son figures out that he could transform as well. And then the story goes from there. And I like that one, but people fucking shit on that movie. They did not like that. It's like how they didn't like the new Van Helsing. Mm. I have a soft spot for that one. The one with um God, what's his name? Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman, and then what's the girl's name? I have no idea. I can't remember her fucking name. Anyway, that <laughs> I I do too. I have a soft spot for that movie because it's like really campy, <laughs> but enjoyable all the way through because it it's has so weird. One of my favorite depictions of Frankenstein in any any universe. He's like super smart. <laughs> yeah, and you actually feel really bad for him when they're burning down his uh, what is it, a windmill? Yeah, he lives in a windmill, and they like that's the classic mob scene where they show up. I like that movie because uh, it was in black and white for that part. And then it goes into full color when it goes to Van Helsing. Why do I think of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen when I think of Helsing, Van Helsing? Because it's the same, like, lighting style. And oh, that, might, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, never mind. But that also, one, yeah. it may have been around the same time period. Yeah, I think they, I think they did come around the thing, around the same time period. No, well, Van Helsing's probably a little bit before that. Okay. A little bit before when League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is. Because League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is, like, early 1900s oh so it's like turn of the century kind of stuff okay i don't Very know why I, was, I don't know why i had to bring that up i just had to bring that up that's a good my, movie it is a good movie I and agree. no one it's liked fun. it <laughs> yeah. Murr didn't like it i'm giving you a grimace face i like the concepts not i don't like how it was executed what did you not like about the league of Extraordinary? i'm sorry we're we going it, off sorry it's just a little bit of everything i i like the concepts i like the that's the problem that i have with a good amount of movies they have good setup they have good production good characters the script is just it, it gets ruined I'm not going to go into specifics. <laughs> Movies do live and die by the script a lot of the time. Blasphemy. No, I'm just kidding. I do like the concepts, though. I mean, like, what is it? You have, um, who's the, Captain Nemo, right? So, yeah, I loved Captain Nemo. Yeah. In that movie. Well. He's badass. Has a fucking sword, crazy beard. Fucking praise to Shiva, was it? And then, like, just captaining a fucking uh, submarine that's just super high tech. I loved everything about that. I will say the Venture Bros, they had a really good depiction of the League of Extraordinary Men in their episode. <laughs> Dude, I and forgot about that. That's a You're right. That is a good depiction of that, honestly. Yeah, they well, do it well. You know what? For the movie, I liked oh. I liked Captain Nemo. Yeah. I liked the vampire girl. I hated the American cowboy. I love Sean Connery <laughs> as like this old British man who's really good with the rifle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Dorian Gray was really annoying. Wait, I liked I like I like Jekyll and Hyde. They were kind of yeah. cool. It's kind of like Incredible Hulk situation. Dude, that was them, funny. It was like they just it. put a suit on him. Yeah, <laughs> there was no special effects for that. Besides, uh, maybe like when he was transforming. Wait, yeah. am I correct? This is the movie with like the giant black orb, right? No, wait, no, the wait. That was the depiction of the, the no. The yeah, I was like, I think you're that's mixing the, them together. That's in the Venture Bros thing. No, Never there's mind. there's some pretty there's like a lot of quippy lines in the league of extraordinary gentlemen and it's just enjoyable that way otherwise like everything is so rushed when you're watching that, that that's, movie that's one of my gripes with it it feels like a very hey, hey, hey let's go let's they go, let's knew go. they weren't going to get another chance so they're like we're going to fit in as much shit in this movie as possible which is probably why it didn't end well back to the wolf man yeah uh i have to say the uh the actor portrayal for lon cheney jr's character is a little creepy in the beginning of the movie. Definitely he is. He is like, uh, he's using a telescope to like stalk a woman and then pretend to be a psychic. Yeah. Uh, and, and no wonder he turns into a dog because he is a dog. 
like damn he talks about um oh yeah do you have a certain like band that has a moon on it uh no we don't have oh that's right yeah and then he's like well what about the ones in your room and she's like (laughs) how how do you know that i'm a psychic my dear right just totally (laughs) stalking your life no big deal so back to wolfman what were some of the uh, the key points above uh, wolfman that made it a significant horror movie folks mer john you got any ideas I think it was the the transformation. This is like one of the first times you got to see somebody transform on screen, and they did it with quick cuts, like back and forth. And then every time they went back to him, it was like they added more for a different kind of like piece on him, things like that. The creature effects are a big part of why it's a you know a cult film like this. Um, I like how they are done in this section. But I also believe, like, it also has to do with the part of him trying to mask himself, too, when he comes back from the transformation. Uh, like, oh, I don't remember last night, but I see a bunch of hair and dog footprints on my floor. Time to sweep it up and, like, try to make sure that no one, like, catches what I've done. So it's also, like, I would say one of the first instances where that happens like uh, something has taken over you and you're trying to mask it from the people around you. Oh, yeah, definitely. It was also one of the, like those narratives where it's pretty much like what some horror films will fall into where it's like you versus society. And in this case, because he was so different, he became sort of that archetype for someone who's like an outcast. But not by choice. He sort of gets like thrown into this because he gets bitten and changes suddenly. He doesn't fully understand all of the changes that are happening. I love that uh, Bella Lugosi has a small but prominent role in this as uh, <laughs> Bella. Yeah. Uh, the what is it? The, they call them gypsies. The uh, occult-like people. Their you know their little brigade of or cavalry. Um, he is a fortune teller. He gives a fortune to one of the girls, and he sees that a pentagram has been into her arm, which I mean, in her hand. Yeah. Which is the funniest thing because. It's not really a pentagram. 1950s couldn't just straight up show a pentagram because it's right like there real, was rules. Yeah, really bad occult imagery did not flow with people in the 50s at <laughs> all. Like probably like what not until even like the 70s, like 20 yeah, years later. It was a lot of time passing because they passed rules like in the 1930s where they couldn't do a whole list of things like you couldn't have cussing you couldn't talk about sex like that's why there were so many innuendos and oh, whatnot. I, I remember seeing that picture you shared where it was uh the rules of photography <laughs> there's like 20 rules and this dude breaks all of them in one photo yeah you couldn't have like a tommy gun in the photo you couldn't show someone like hurting a cop you couldn't show a woman alcoholism you couldn't show alcoholism you couldn't show a woman in like a really small dress and it's literally like a girl holding a Tommy gun while standing on top of a police officer drinking and smoking. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's, it's awesome. all in the one photo and it looks fake. It looks like, uh, like it was made today, but like, it's just a really good captured photo. It's amazing. But that was totally against those rules that they had come up with for the film. The same applies to film because universal, especially as a, I mean, they're, they're a big prominent company. They wanted to keep everything clean. What a bunch of fucking prudes though. To, like, restrict film like that? Yeah, I mean, you're definitely destroying the artist's vision with what they have. But I think, I mean, for looking back through rose-tinted glasses, I think it's really funny that their pentagram is just a star within a circle. 
Yeah, they didn't do anything special. <laughs> they didn't do the lines through, like how draw the lines for it and whatnot, which I found very silly because it felt really cheesy. Yeah. Like they weren't being legit, probably because they couldn't be legit. No, not at all. Even if they wanted to, I mean, it would probably would get canned or not even shown in theaters. Yeah, someone would cut it off before it even like hit theaters. <laughs> you know how moms are about that? They I don't, don't want evil. I don't want my kids playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yo, that was funny. That whole time period where they were like, if your child plays Dungeons and Dragons, you should make sure that they don't do that. That <laughs> was a thing in it was like it was like the sixties, like late sixties where that was a thing. Uh well, yeah, Gygax had a lot of flack for it. And then so they had to tone it back, but it was the thing that sent them into success. Yeah, yeah, people started playing it more. There's like what mm-hmm. the fuck is D and D? Dungeons and Dragons. It could send your kid to hell. What? And then every They're kid's like, I like go to hell? Cool. <laughs> every right. kid's like, mom told me not to play this game. Time to fucking open the box. <laughs> I was just like, I still want to know what the hell is their logic with that? Like, how does this game about uh, role you playing? You cast spells in it. Demons. There was, a kid spells. That, there was a kid that like killed himself or hurt himself um, over one of something that happened to one of his characters. Incorrect. Or people going, what? Incorrect. I'm not saying. Well, I mean, I'm, I remember that being like a, one of the headlines well, the, for a newspaper. The thing, the thing, thing was, he was a missing kid, and and they and people said that he was in the sewers underneath the college playing D and D. What the then, fuck? And then someone went down there and checked it, and they're like, you know what? I there was one cop. A cop was like, you know, I'm on the case. I have a hunch that D and D is what's making this kid go crazy. So then he writes a novel about it, and he finds the kid, and the kid's fine. But because there's so much attention drawn to the kid and everything, the kid commits suicide after, like, a couple of months. Oh, Jesus. So then after that, they're like, D&D makes you kill yourself, and you could summon demons and shit. And there's also the shit with the Jack Chick comic books. Do you remember those? No. What the hell is that? Sorry, we're off topic on the Wolfman here, but no, I'm just going to go on good. a tangent. The Jack Chick comics were th- are those little Sunday uh, church comics that are, like, really tiny, and they tell you about uh, – a certain thing that you should not be doing. Um, they're like, they have a, a different color on the strip of line and they tell you about a certain topic, whether it be alcoholism, robbing people. There's one where it is a D and D and it's <laughs> crazy because uh, in, like you were saying, Mitch in the actual Jack chick comic, um, it depicts a woman who's very like succubus, like gathering kids to play dungeons and dragons. And uh, it's crazy. Cause one of these, uh, girls, she has the sickest character name. Her her character's name is Blackleaf, super tight. But her assassin dies in the game, and because she was so connected into the game, uh, she like in the comic puts a spell on her dad to not throw away her books and everything. And then afterwards, she gets so crazy and fed up that she actually kills herself because her character Blackleaf died in game. <laughs> well, shit. People are committed to that role playing. So, and that's the thing. A lot of people, when you play D and D, you like in the back of your head, you're like, "Yo, I remember this is banned," and like people hated. Like it was the uh, Satanic Panic is is what it's commonly referred to as. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that title. Plus, isn't there a movie that just came out with that name? I think so. Yeah, like recently, it was like a straight to DVD kind of shit. But like, it's still something I saw because I saw it all over the the Fangoria page. There was also a Tom Cruise movie. Uh, it was Tom Cruise's, I think, his first or second movie. Um, and there were several novels. Wasn't it Tom Hanks? That did Sorry, Tom it? Hanks. Tom My Hanks, bad. I think My bad. Not Tom movie. Cruise. Wrong Re- Tom. Plays D and D, and it causes yeah. problems. Yeah, I was like, did you meet interview with a vampire? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Tom Hanks. He uh, 
he plays the kid that was lost in the tunnels. Oh, oh that's so funny. So like at the end, like he's almost gonna kill himself because you know he's his character as well died in in, in game. So, and his, his friends like, no, no, don't jump off the bridge. You got so much to live for. And he's like, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. He's like, yeah, you know, you're totally right. Yeah, the Wolfman, I love because the thing is there is a little bit of a cult thing with the shamans and the the gypsies as they're called. Uh it's a little bit of an old word to use now. Well, uh, someone else told me that uh it's considered to be like close to a slur. It you, is very much. That's why I'm kind of like uh, Well, I, I think know. they I, you just say Romani cuz that was most of people what, say what word? Romani? Romani? Yeah, yeah. I could call them Romani. That's cuz that's like the it's like the area and the place they're from. Cause, cause that, cause Gypsy came out of the idea that like they were sort of like jipping people, and then it just extended out into a, a non-creative word that people were using. So, the the Romani people in this, they they come to town, and people are like super excited. They're getting their fortunes told and stuff, and uh, <laughs> the main girl, her best friend, gets uh gets her fortune told, and he's like, the left hand is your past, the right hand is your future. And then in her palm of the hand is the fake pentagram. They, like, stalked over it. And then she, the dude just backs up. And he's like, oh, my God. I can't believe this. And then uh, she's like, what? He's like, I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Please leave. And she leaves and runs into the forest. She's, like, panicking. And then a dog comes up and bites her. And she screams. <laughs> what the fuck? Do you, remember, do you remember that? I'm, like, trying to, like, that part does not come out and i was like did i just fucking not watch that part <laughs> well it all happens really quick and uh what is his name lon cheney jr comes to the rescue with his newly bought wolf cane that also has a pentagram on it <laughs> right and they just wanted to put that shit on everything and uh he sees that she's getting bit by a dog so he comes over he as well gets bit on the chest which is very important to note and he kills the dog and then it turns out that the dog turns back into Bella or uh, Bella Lugosi's character and he is dead uh, bludgeoned and people are like how did he die well he has a bunch of head marks I mean uh, you know little indents in his head so he must have been clubbed to death and they're like oh hey what's up Larry is his name Larry I think his name's Larry yes yes Larry yeah <laughs> the, the, the main character's name yeah. is Larry I do remember that yeah the so Wolfman character so that, that ensues. They find out that the girl is dead as well. But it's important to note that Larry has been bitten. So the, the next night, he you know he goes back and he gets some rest. And he, he comes to it again. And he wakes up. His wound is completely healed. And he is astonished. And everyone's like, you were there. What did you see and stuff? He's like, you know, I was bit yesterday. And now my, I'm miraculously healed. Everyone's kind of just confused. Like, what the hell's going on? But they're like, well, there must be an animal out there that's, you know, doing some shit. So it continues. He's trying to flirt with the girl. And do you guys remember anything else? No, honestly, I was not super into it. That's the thing. <laughs> the script is not that great. Yeah. But I, mean, you, I think that the premise, I think like what you said about. Um, transformation. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I rather like this, like the ideas they had for it, which is, uh, which ends really well with like the father having to kill his own son. The sort of idea is really good, but they just did not execute it as well or build up to it very well. So I was, it was kind of flatline, like for a majority of the movie. Th that's the that thing. Point. It's, uh, the main character, I mean, the main characters are kind of meh in this one. 
but I will say that the forest itself is a good character and a great setting because it is fogged up. The trees are hanging. They're really nice and eerie. Oh yeah, it's yeah. A nice set. Yeah, the set the set for it is definitely good. Is a good set. And uh, like John said, the transformation scene is probably the big money maker for this. The hair looks really good. Yeah, they must have spent a lot of time on the costuming and all the special effects for that. Like especially during that time period, that must have been a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to get all of that done without all of the extra cash for it. But they probably had a bigger budget. For something yeah. like this for all the universal monsters i feel like they definitely had more money yeah for something like for sure. that but um i'll probably just like go over a little bit more and then you know just they they try to find a beast they can't find it dude transforms again kills more people they're you know they know something's up they eventually uh the guy gets fed up with living this life that he is a monster and killing people and no one is believing him that he's telling him like oh hey I'm a werewolf. I was bitten by a werewolf. Even his dad's like, no, you are my son. You own this manor here. Let's sit you down in this chair. I'm going to lock you up. We're going to go find the beast. Well, I think he's like mentally ill. Yeah. <laughs> At that point, yeah. they're like, oh, there's something wrong. And he's, so they try to. His mind is tainted. Yeah. They try to like sedate him and like relax him. And so it was like, it's, it's really telling of that time period to you because they did this with like women all the time where they were like, oh, you're crazy. Like you're having some mental uh lapse in what you're talking about so just do some drugs and relax yeah <laughs> and they would give them like opiates and things like that which is how they got into the whole like opioid addiction and shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's so much weird shit that happened outside of the film that influenced a lot of what happened inside of the film and in those cases uh uh because women didn't have a whole lot of rights they on screen were portrayed in certain ways which was for the next like 50 60 years until there was something even slightly different the uh i agree like there are a lot of things that are you know in the background of what it is trying to symbolize for sure in this movie um then what happens i'm i'm trying to go over the the key points but it's just like this script is kind of flat you know no it's all right we so i think what i oh yes the scene with the dad you know he finds the you know the wolf man after getting caught in a trap and he beats him with a cane and then it turns into his son and he doesn't say anything it's like the weirdest thing he just like oh he just kind of looks at it like oh i guess i murdered my son and then you get all these like farmers and people they're like oh he oh it's larry oh i guess you know um i guess larry must have died trying to fight the beast i guess do you feel like it would have been better if he had the very dramatic response where he's like screaming, no, honestly, I would, I would have thought it'd been a little bit better. Like I just killed my son. He was telling me the truth, like fuck. And then, you know, ends off like that, but it ends off kind of just like, Oh, that's my son. The end. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Roll credits. Welp. Ain't that a coinky dink. (laughs) Just like the dad, just kind of very nonchalant about it. (laughs) That just makes me think of uh like the Looney Tunes wrap up. <laughs> really just like cut to black or like it would like shrink into like a circle. Well that's all folks. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not one of the strongest uh universal monster movies. No. I'm sorry, I got the fucking frog stuck in my head. 
the frog. You know the dancing frog from from Warner Bros. Oh, yeah. Comes out the box. Yeah. <laughs> you just you know what I'm talking about? He's like, "Hello, my darling." Hello, honey. <laughs> oh, Sorry, oh that was gosh. so random. Uh, so let's talk about creature from the black lagoon yes we got to see this in theaters in a very comfy seat yes those seats were so comfy they were them sinopolis chairs though i will say uh watching this in the theater was such a spectacular move yeah no it was good uh i had seen it maybe like once or twice before just randomly because i found the dvd uh and i loved watching it but i was like this probably would have been really cool in theater so to go it didn't seem old to me and i don't know what it was about it maybe they had like a really nice quality but watching it i was like this could have been made like a couple years ago could have made maybe like 70s yeah like it's not it doesn't seem that old to me also they did a really good job with their filming techniques yeah the filming techniques are really good i love the set pieces like the Going down the river with the giant boat. Dude, I couldn't tell if this was, like, a river they built in a studio or if they actually went somewhere. Yeah, for right. For shit. It didn't seem like it was the, like, where, I, I mean, I don't know what the, the classic uh, techniques called where they put, like, the moving screen behind the, oh, <laughs> the boat. yeah. I, I couldn't tell. Like, there were some scenes that you could tell, and then there were others where I was like, no, they're just in a boat in the water, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I liked the uh, all of the. They did a lot, the good job of like obscuring the monster as well. Yeah, Some right from how, the beginning. Yeah, very Jaws esque sort of deal. I think I liked also that their plot line made sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Everyone's like motives were cor- like correct yeah, in their own vein. They were so they show up and they're like, "Yo, I discovered something." Well, it starts with him discovering like the hand coming mm-hmm. out of there. So to me, that's like, oh, there was more than one of these creatures. And then that one's like just happens to be buried in the stone. Like it's like the idea that that when man evolved, he at one point walked like was uh, aqueous yeah. at one point, and then came upon land. He was amphibious, and so that there was that yep. hybrid between fish and man, as opposed to the hybrid between man and they fish or man and uh, ape. They referenced the uh, lungfish quite a bit as being the uh, the key point in the difference between water and land because it could yeah. go on both. And mm. I like how they also reference the uh, what is it, the Davidian age or something like that Davinian Devonian age Devonian mm-hmm. yes I love the fact that it's uh, what is archaeologists digging up and finding remains that's like one of my favorite parts about a lot of horror movies. Well, the science in it was like it was pretty good. It, there wasn't really anything where I was like that sounds outrageous. Yeah, no, it was I'm pretty, not sure about it that. It was pretty grounded for sure. And they somehow managed to make. The scenes in the water, like really mysterious and also creepy because it's daylight, but it's a black and white film. Mm -hmm. So they had to get the lighting just right in the water and film underwater. So it's like, how do you film underwater in the 50s? Like, I didn't even know that was a thing. I like I had to look up like what style of camera you'd have for that. And like the amount that they spent to get a camera like that, it could pay for like another movie wow (laughs) so they had enough money during that time to get the camera it's basically like a camera encased in like a watertight uh casing and then it just has a really clear window that it looks out of and so that's how they film those i would say the underwater scenes are shot wonderfully Um, it looks so nice so beautiful and um 
they had two actors to portray the the creature. I figured. <laughs> yeah, because they, they have a, I mean, they have a dude who swims magnificently and elegantly throughout the water. They must have given him some direction while he was in the water. Like, hey, we need this to look a certain way, so. <laughs> yeah. Go and swim in this way. They probably re- made him swim a whole bunch of times and redo it. You know what's crazy? He didn't have a suit. It's all him holding his breath. Yeah, free diving. For minutes at a time, five minutes, six minutes at a time. And uh, it looks great. I, um, you guys want to d- d- uh, dive into the plot? Oh, God. Yeah. Pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> so archaeologist finds a hand poking out of a rock and is like, where's the rest of the body? Oh, well, maybe it's gone like somewhere down river, but we need money for an expedition. So he leaves his two uh, helpers there. And I say helpers because it was totally racist and had people from like, I don't know, they were like natives, I guess. Uh, I mean, they were just they were just the his like they were basically just people that live in the Amazon that yeah. he meets up with that are also working on the dig with him. Yep. Yeah. That was basically that was basically it. They just are his like confidants. Your general labor. Yeah, exactly. Your your general person of color who is also a labor. Yeah. And so they they left. He leaves two people there. Goes to meet what another archaeologist? Uh, a science institute and uh, our main character David, as well as his love interest. Yeah. Which is kind of weird. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But it was so. He's like, "All right, you found something cool. Let's go talk to all these dudes." And they're all archaeologists, scientists who want to discover more. And they actually debate like, "Is it worth it to go and look for something like this? Like, should I fund it?" And everyone seemed pretty spot on. And it wasn't like a where you have those movies where everything just works out right. And, like, no one questions them. There was definitely a guy who was like, I don't know. Is this, like, worth the money? Like, why are we going to go do this? Should we do this expedition at yeah. all? Is it, will it well, make us he, profit? He pulls know? out the hand, and they take a look at it, and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, this is going to be worth the money. Yeah, it, well, they basically found that it's dated to the Devonian area, and they say, this is a really good find. We should dig around in that Black Lagoon and find out, like, maybe if there's more of the of more fossils we can find of this, because this is the discovery of the century. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. And that's when, like, they have a whole bunch of shots of, like, the hand coming out of the water to grab someone, but then they turn around and it disappears back under the water again. We, we have to talk about the three notes. Oh, yeah. Because it is used. I think this scene. is, like, one of the first uses of music to cue a monster. Yeah. It, I've not, I don't, yeah, exactly. I don't think I've, the Wolfman didn't really do that. No. Every, every time he was on screen, I don't think that it really did that. Like, there was no real, like, consistent note with um nosferatu either it was, yeah it was very different depending on scene but with this one it was the same three notes every single time the monster was coming yeah no different always yeah. the same whenever the monster yeah the, the creatures coming at them and the thing is when he's he has his hand and you're like oh it's about to get someone but then he's like oh wait i should probably hide i don't want to find it the right. notes the Pull, notes deflate. yeah pulls his yeah. hand away yeah like, almost like it's like it's disappointed yeah like, it's like darn it no one gets killed today yeah you know what that makes me think of there was a a video of a dude who's like sticking his foot off the bed and then there's a hand reaching up to grab it but then he pulls his foot back and the hand is like moving around like what the hell and so he keeps doing that putting his foot in and out and the hand keeps going up and then eventually he grabs it and the guy fucking flips out because he gets dragged off the bed Damn. but it's like they they like dramatize the hand reaching out and again like you read articles and stuff about this movie people were terrified 
oh, when wow. this movie came out. They were like, they'd never seen anything like it. I do have to say the costume's pretty freaky. Yeah, it is a great design. Uh, I wanted to talk about a little bit about the time era for this. Yeah, if for I sure. Could. Go for it. So the thing is, with a lot of horror movies during uh, the 20s, 30s, 50s, and 40s, they all dwell on some different topics. Yeah. Uh, this is the beginning of the 50s, or like mid-50s, I'd say. So it's like right around the time that World War II, we dropped the bomb on Hiroshima. And yep. that's the thing. The People are not afraid of the monster. They're afraid of what man could make. And so it started a whole new genre called science fiction horror. And that is, uh, this is one of the big key like holders, like torch passers for that. It was, is this a real creature or was this man made? You know, yeah. there's a lot of things like with Godzilla in 1954 yeah. And um, then there's like invasion, invasion of the body snatchers. Yes, there's war of the world Fiend without a face, uh, all kinds of just science fiction. Horror was a new thing for a lot of people. And it's not only what's out there in the world, but also what's in our deepest depths, which yeah. was a big thing about what, this movie. What haven't we discovered yet? This, yeah. Like in the movie, they mentioned how we know more about, we know more about the space than we do our own. Yeah. Like our, our own, own oceans. oceans. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you want to yeah. go watch something? Go watch the abyss. Yeah, dude, oh, yeah. I mean, that movie that, will fuck you up. That is that a movie about the deep? Yeah, it's about oh. it's about the deep ocean. Oh fuck that! Yeah, science fiction, really good, really good horror thriller movie. Uh, yeah, I, I, I won't tell you anything about it because just watch just, it. Just go, just go watch it. <laughs> I will say that was one of my favorite lines of the movie. Uh, we know more about space than we do in our own, you know, swimming pool. It's still mm-hmm. true. It is. Yeah, we we we're, still haven't really looked into the oceans, which is terrifying. We're barely making discoveries every five or ten years about a new species. It's, it's like, very rare. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, dude, I have I straight up have that like fear of the open ocean. I think I've said it before. Yeah, that shit freaks me the fuck out. It's huge. It's yeah, fast. like I could not be out in open water. I'd probably <laughs> flip out. Sorry that for that yawn, folks. It's huge. It's vast. The ocean. So many possibilities lurking in the depths. Just looking at pictures of large spaces freaks me out. Like, if I look at, like, space, like, you know, you go to NASA or something and look at their shit, that stuff makes me nervous. <laughs> it's so <laughs> weird. It's such a weird feeling. Yeah. It's like uh, how – what's that other one where you don't like porous things, like things that have holes in it? It, like, freaks you out. Uh, I can't think oh, of Oh, there's a specific phobia, but I – it's oh, know. it's tryptophobia. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, I know that's, quite a bit of people with that. Yeah, that's 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 fucking crazy. But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> Things that you're that make you afraid. Um, so the leads are Richard Carlson and Julia yeah. Adams. Okay. Um, as well as their antagonist Richard Denning, who plays Mark. So, I didn't understand. I think I had trouble understanding the relationship between the two main characters, the two men who like at times seemed like they were competing against each other, but then other times were like really caring about the other person while also, while also one of them had a romance with his lady friend that he brought with him, who is a scientist as well. Right? Yeah, she is. She, she's one of the newer uh, students that has become part of. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So the thing is like, don't remember, don't forget like how you barely came onto the program, you know? Yeah. We're still, you know, trying to learn some stuff. But the thing is, Mark was the one who gave her that position. So I, I feel like there's a big thing of jealousy there because she didn't know David before then. Yeah, exactly. So he's like kind of just like, oh, I, I wanted my trophy and you're taking it. <laughs> so I feel like Mark has a lot of things that he's dealing with as, as he's watching David just put his little 
loving hands all over her, you know? They're definitely, like, openly romantic in front of everybody. But, yeah. like, there was never a... There was never, like, an excessive, like, kissing scene or, like, they weren't having sex. It was yeah, just, like... it was just, like, a budding romance. Yeah. More, like, on this science expedition. It's a, more of a budding romance. Yeah, it's, like, yeah. on its way there. It's actually really beautiful because it's just, yeah. like, hey, we're on this expedition together. I'm going to give you a little hug. I'm going to go in the water, kiss, kiss on the lips, like... It's actually like really tame, you know. Yeah, it doesn't go overboard yeah. with which it, which is which is fine, you know. Which is respectable I, I, for scientists. Yeah, exactly. And um, I do like the the dichotomy of the scientist that, that wants to discover things, and then there's a the scientist that wants to bring it back, and is like the, you know, you got like your Massafades Paragon and your Renegade options. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, yeah. I want to make sure everyone gets out alive. Damn the project! I yeah. want to make sure this monster dies. Damn the people! Sort yeah. of sort of idea, and, and I I liked that that. Uh, I, not really a juxtaposition, but a dichotomy. Well, it made I for think. a lot of uh, conflict while you were watching it on what they were going to do next. Yeah. They, I feel like they stayed out there too long. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they definitely went past, like, when they should have head back. But that was because of one of the scientists being like, no, we have to, like, we can't go back empty-handed, like, after Which everything that's happened. I could see his point of view. Like, he has spent a couple you know a couple million not million probably thousands several <laughs> spent thousand, a good amount of money probably several thousand to do this expedition and he's coming back empty-handed that, for a guy that's yeah. on a science research thing that's the worst thing that could happen what's hilarious to me is that they actually caught the creature and then he fucking breaks out yeah and like what lights a dude on fire <laughs> <laughs> um i will say one of my favorite characters is the boat owner lucas that dude's he, great is awesome in every scene he is in. He's like the fucking boat captain in Jaws. Yeah, yeah, he really is. He's he is like right. super, super laid back. Just like, oh yes, I know, I know these, pl- I know this place. Yeah, the the legends say this, but I don't, I don't, I don't really know if it's true or not. He's super. He's a great loving character. My yeah. favorite part of his arc is when the guy is like, you're gonna. Um, David is like, hey, we need to get the fuck out of here. He's like, you got it. You got it. We're out of here. And the guy's like, hey, put that fucking anchor down. You know, we're not leaving anywhere. And he just pulls out a knife. He's like, oh, we're not going anywhere, huh? You're going to tell me what we're going to do with my boat, right? <laughs> this is pretty great. I like that scene a lot. Yeah, too. it's true. He stands up to him, and it's, he's not like a pushover. He's very much like the always. hardened captain who yes. is not going to take your shit because it's his boat and it's his world now sort of idea. <laughs> he smokes them big cigars, Yeah, too. the big cigars all the time. Just munching on it. <laughs> yeah, he's also very jolly most of the time too yeah he's a very jolly individual i thought i i thought for a moment that he was like drunk most of the time but mm. i don't really think i ever saw him drinking anything no i don't think so no he probably did the so off screen <laughs> uh they go to the dig site they find right. nothing um they realize they could find more stuff if they go downstream to the black lagoon yeah so they they commissioned. Did they Lucas. ever explain why the water was that color? No, it um, just is. It's just called the Black Lagoon. It just has murky. It's just murky. Oh, they gotcha. call it the Black Lagoon because people that go there don't come back. You got <laughs> some, you got some real footage of crocodiles though. Yeah, yeah, that's real. Yeah, that's true. Shit, I wonder how they did that. Do they just dump them in a tank? They're like, all right, <laughs> dude. I, I, crocodiles and uh, I have the biggest fear of that. What getting eaten alive? I, crocodiles, crocodiles are my favorite animal, but the oh. thing is, I. I love swimming, and if I were to ever swim with one, I would just, I it would kill swimming for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're they like will bite you and then just twist like fucking death do roll. a crazy turn. Mm. Oh, is that what it's called? It's called yeah, the death, death roll. roll. Yeah. Oh my god, I didn't know that. They grab you, they don't let go, and then they like t- 
turn themselves over and flip you around in the water and suffocate you and crush you at the same time. The, the only great. thing that you have in defense of that is poking the eyes or nose. Yeah. And that's that's it. Yeah, and and that's if they decide to let they you have, go. Cause... They have a bunch of jaw force biting down but not up. So if you could somehow have them close their mouth and then get over it and hold their mouth tight, they can't open it. Oh, no wonder that works so well. Yeah. They have like p- thousands of PSI on the munch, yeah. but not on the open. <laughs> That's weird. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense because I would see people just jump on them all the time and like hold the mouth closed. I was like, how is that happening? And then that explains it, actually. Yeah. There's some science behind it. <laughs> yep. Um, so they go to the black lagoon. Um, and this is like one of the instances where I think the first time we see the creature, it goes up on their boat, I believe. I know it's swimming in the water, watching the girl. Oh, that's right. And they have this really great shot where she decides to swim and it just kind of swims underneath her and doesn't do anything. And just kind of follows her around really close. Yeah. I like that. Cause in your mind, you're thinking, Oh, he's just going to grab her and take her to his lair. And everyone's gonna be like, where's the girl? We got to find her. And it doesn't do that. It plays with your expectations a little. Yeah. Well, I was still like, what was the creature's obsession with the girl? That's an interesting bit. They don't ever explain that. They never she, explain it. He just kind of does. He just only really likes the girl and is really hostile towards anyone else. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, how can he even tell? No, like, kinda, I guess kind of like maybe the King Kong sort of idea where it like steals the like it was it was the maiden that slew the beast sort of idea. That was so weird. Yeah, it's, it's so strange. Like having like. The idea of, like, a beast being obsessed with... I guess it's not really that weird, considering, like, humans. So, like... And just, like, this, like... Uh, I guess it's more or less an idea, rather than, like... A, or a concept, rather. Yeah. Of maybe he's just a lonely fish man who just really wants a mate. And he just sees this woman who... I don't know. I have no idea. I, I'm trying to logicalize <laughs> this, and I don't know. I don't understand I wonder it. if this is a... a... What is that movie called? Um, wow. Well, the new Guillermo del Toro movie, The Shape of Water. Oh, yeah. It's just... like the Shape of Water deal. Like he's got yeah. a penis it... that just like retracts in and out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, is she just, I mean, is the, is just the opposite of that? It's like, oh, yeah, we really like with Shape of Water. This is where we really wanted to take the creature from the Black Lagoon, but like have the romance happen that we saw in that one scene. Man, he just wanted to make a fish dick. Like he needs to that stop lying. <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, I, I he wish, had an explanation I, for it. I really know. don't know what it is. Maybe I mean I really don't know what it is. But it, the creature Jim seems to have just a fascination with her, and like goes and kills every other one. So maybe it's some sort of like like special like supremacy thing where he's trying to like kill all of the supposed you know people that could get with his potential mate sort of I, ideas. I think that's what it is. In yeah, all honesty, he just try because he only kill like kills male characters pretty much, and then tries to steal women basically. Um, my question to you: Do you think that the shape of water is somewhat? the only remake of creature from the black lagoon we have uh i don't know if it's a remake but well, it's not like, a remake but like in the same in the vein si- yeah yeah definitely it, it's in a similar vein but i actually really want a remake of creature from the black I do lagoon too, actually i actually think it would it could be done really well i think it, it can um but uh but yeah so he has the obsession with this girl he follows her around i think he grabs her leg and she freaks out and then yeah. he swims away. The guys come out after uh, reviewing their rock samples from the area. They were like, oh, yes, we ha- we can find the ancestor of the of the hand that you found. It probably yeah. did come down. Probably a fossil or something yeah. along those lines. They expect it just to be extinct and gone. Yeah. So then she's. they're like, oh, my gosh, get over here. Move the boat. Get it closer. Get her inside. 
and they do. And she was just like, oh, yeah, it's just a swim. You know, nothing crazy. Yeah, something grabbed my leg, though. And then I think the – at some point, I think they go down to, like, start swimming around looking for it yeah. with the with the tanks and everything. And then they run into the creature because it attacks one of them. And that's when they start going in with the harpoons. I fucking love this whole scene with the harpoons. Like, yeah. the sound effects, the way that you got to see it just go flying. <laughs> like, I don't know how they even did that. They must have really used, like, air pressure tanks. To just launch these fucking things. Yeah, but I mean, getting like, getting the uh, getting the cameras underwater, that's like a different, like, I don't know how, how what the technology for that is like at the time, or if they just put it into like a plastic bubble and then put it underneath yeah. the thing. Oh, yeah, it was like in a case that you would like screw closed. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Like they would, they would start the film running and then they would close it, make sure it was airtight. A cable running inside of it. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And then they would dump it in there and then pull it out when they were all done. Like, they really didn't have that much filming time with their cameras and with the film available. They could probably do, like, 10 minutes at a time. Wow. Yeah, something like that, depending on what size film they were using. But that was usually about how much they could film, like, per roll that they were using. Something that they make a big point in this movie is the pressurization. Um, like, holding oh, yeah. it. Some more science. Yeah. Like, oh, he, you didn't come up all the way. You didn't depressurize yourself. I don't care. That's we need true. We it's a real thing with, with scuba yep. divers too. If you didn't, what know. happens if you don't? Do uh, it you properly? can blow out your eardrums. Oh god! Um, that like the pressure will like will cause ruptures and stuff. So I've talked to, I've done a little bit of scuba diving myself, <laughs> or I've like dabbled in it a little bit. And um, the people that I talked to, he's uh, one of them told me a, a message with his uh, the leader for his scuba expedition went up entirely too fast, and it literally like like his eardrum exploded out of the side of his head. Oh. and whatnot and like you know it's just a little pop and then there's just blood and stuff flying and then fish were like eating at the side of his head and stuff and it makes him a little disoriented it's because you have to like repressurize the pressure in your body so you have to ascend slowly yeah and whatnot they they say like oh whatever time that he you know how much time he was down there he has to you know blow out the air mm. or, like take his time with it um i will tell you an, a terrible underwater welding pressure story if you have the chance that's fun it's it's really quick so there was a welder. He was welding for about a couple, maybe like an hour or two underwater. Or he has air, you know, he's doing his thing. Mm -hmm. The guy go, gets back into his ship and forgets to depressurize as he's coming up. This is like several, like maybe a couple hundred feet down there. He's fixing some pipes and stuff. So he's coming back up. The dude uh, needs to use the restroom as, as he gets on land, goes on the can, does his business, breaks his legs. His legs break from from like the sheer amount of force that's coming out when he's doing his waist and breaks his legs. And he like basically dies on the toilet because of this. He's just bleeding, screaming and like just did not pressurize what correctly. Fuck? Ended up dying. Wow. Cause his whole, I mean his lungs and everything was just all just jumbled in the mass. Oh damn. Yeah. Underwater welding your life expectancy is five years. I know some people who have done it for six or seven and it's, I tell them, hey, you should probably get out of that profession. What the fuck? Really? It's yeah. five years? Five years, but you make bank. Why five years? Dude. It's dangerous. You're you're going through pressure for several hours a day. I mean, your body can't handle that. That would freak me out. I'm freaking out just thinking about it. Yeah. You're oh, like, that's, you're that's like the, the worst part. You're the only person down there. Like, there's a possibility you might fuck something up. Uh, let's not even talk about the pressure from, like, stuff that you're fixing. Uh, there's also stuff like... I'm sorry, I'm going off topic here, but say if you were fixing something that has pressure that comes through it, say if you're fixing yeah. like a 
a dam or something and it has like 1700 pounds of psi or say, say just some random obscure yeah. law, big number um if they turn it on while you're still down there i mean that's 1700 pounds whatever a bunch of pressure coming back in you're gonna get stuck there and they're not gonna stop that machine there's right like, where exactly. are you why why didn't you come up you'll run out of air while you're being sucked in and like parts of you will probably go through that little hole that you forgot to fix so it's like that's not even counting the dangers of like fish or running out of oxygen or Damn. all kinds of crazy stuff in our depths so if you know an underwater welder tell them hey man you're, you're doing good but you you should really look into a profession change how hot does something have to be to fucking work underwater Dude, that has to be at least 500, 600 degrees. That's crazy. Yeah, because, I mean, it's mostly stick welding. And stick welding's hot, especially with 7018. <laughs> you have to have high amperage to be able to go through that. And they're working with underwater grinders. I don't know how that works. To get rust off after years of, you know, being in water. Oh, salt water and shit. Oh yeah, salt water fucks up worlds. <laughs> that's why it's a big it's a big thing in demand. But I digress. Uh, <laughs> well, okay. So they find the creature. You don't really get a full view of it until she's swimming around, and then you're like, "Oh shit!" Uh, but they do take a minute to show you what the creature looks like. Uh, there are moments, though. I gotta say, uh, he looks really goofy. Like he's like standing out and uh, like outside the water on the boat. Yeah, and like it's opening its mouth and closing it. Like a fish. Exactly. Yeah. And it just made me laugh when I was it, watching it, it. It does look silly sometimes, but I feel like this was probably my like my most convincing monster in like of like those three movies oh, totally. that we watched. It was the most convincing of the three of them to me. Cause it like even like his facial like, he has very little facial expression. You can totally clearly tell it's like a rubber mask, but they did a really good job on like the rest of the body and the claws and the, the web hands and the texture. Yeah, Ooh. exactly. Um, and I also did like that they did like him just like breathing out of water like that, and they tried to like they really tried to immerse you in this monster. So they learned from their mistakes with the previous monster movies <laughs> and whatnot. They tried they tried to kill it a couple times. Uh, they hit it with the harpoons. And then it goes into – it just disappears. It goes into its lair, but they don't know that. I like that the captain has this sort of, like, remedy for putting shit to sleep. I think it's – is it is it is the drug Rufalin that they use? It sure looks like it. I think that's – I think that's what it is. Yeah, he, he well, says, oh, you know, local fishermen fish with this all the time. Yeah. They just throw it into the lakes and then, boom, fish for days. Right, so they put a whole bunch on or in the lake and then they – it gets all of the fish and everything to pass out. <laughs> and then I think they managed to stun the creature, which is how they're able to capture it. Yeah. They, they do stun it. It's it rot it's, it's, it's rotenone, rotenone. Is the name of, is the name of the, uh, is the name of the drug. Yep. That's what it is. Nice. Yep. It's rotenone. That's that's just what it's called. That's that's what they use. The so natives just, use it for fishing, and they use it to like drug the fish so that they float to the surface. So it's not rufalin. <laughs> Excuse me. They are not roofing all of the fish no. in the thought. They are using rotenone. <laughs> so they actually get it, and they capture it. They put it in the boat after a little bit. Yeah, they leave some dude to keep watch who is obviously not the best person to leave. <laughs> the woman comes out. She's talking to him, having a casual conversation about this uh mark is absolutely ecstatic that they found the, the creature and they're gonna go home with it 
award-winning prize for sure in the eyes of the science field. Um, and then the creature just gets the jump on the guy at watch. Yeah, he claws for his real. face really bad. Fucking lights him on fire and shit. Yeah, also lights him on fire. <laughs> and then I love it. He does a really good dive. It's, oh it's, it's a real, yeah! Uh, it is actually a real a real chemical compound. It was not fake. That is a real chemical compound, and it's used as a pesticide and other things like that. So anyway, I'm sorry. I know we're bringing us back oh, to yeah. that, but I just did a little research. Real yeah, quick no, for it, you. it does come back in yeah. the film. They use yeah. it in the yeah. in a later scene. Yeah. Um. So. The then you know Mark is absolutely pissed. So there, that's when the internal conflict happens between David and Mark. People are dying. People are getting killed one by one off the boat. Uh, the guy who was at watch, he is completely bandaged up in the cargo bay, just like trying to rest. And you see the hand again. No. He's like, he's like, <laughs> they close it and they see him and he's still just trying to get the girl. But this, yeah, this is when uh, Mark and David are fighting. You know for- what? That was the only time he went for someone else. Yeah. Like, or one of the first times he went for someone else. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he reaches through, tries to grab someone. They see the hand. They actually end up, they end up capturing him too. Did you want to talk about the dichotomy between David and Mark? Yeah. So it was interesting because it's a fifties movie that, uh, whether they knew it or not was dealing with masculinity and how it can play out in different people. And so in one case, it's very noble. He wants to take care of the girl he wants to make sure that everyone is okay. And they're like, we can come back. Like, it's no big deal. We'll bring... Uh, he says we'll bring more people, yeah. more men, so yeah. we could do We're this We're not correctly. well prepared for this. Yeah, we are biting off more than we could chew. And so that, to me, is like a, a better version of how you can be like... You can still be masculine, but you can also be know, like, know your limits. Whereas mm-hmm. the other dude was like, no, nah, we're going to fucking kill it and bring back the dead body. Like... Damn the crew. Yeah. I, I don't care if it's just me that brings him back, you know? Yeah, and he jumps in by himself, so he's, like, definitely that hyper-masculine wanting to be the alpha male. It ends up being his end, too. He ends totally. up dying from doing that yeah, as well. Yeah, the, the creature blocks them into the lagoon, and it's a whole thing. Yeah, where, that was great. <laughs> yeah, he basically beaver dams them inside. And uh, David tries to get use the wench uh, to lift up this stuff, but the creature keeps taking it off. <laughs> yeah yeah well that he's like he keeps taking it off and then that's when they jump in with the harpoons and are like all right we got to take care of and this yeah. what's the drug again rotenin yeah rotenone. they they put the rotenin in the one of the psi tanks yeah and they will combine it with water too so they can spray it underwater that was actually a really smart idea yeah, yeah it's a great, great it's a idea. great idea to fight the fight the monster yeah for sure. i love that I, it's super good too because the camera captures the rotenin really well and uh, White cloud. It, my favorite scene is when it's just the dude just shooting it off, yeah. and like the cat, the it's just great because you see this fog, and then you see this the dudes and the creature just like swimming through it seamlessly as they're trying to capture one another. I'm pretty sure they end up like hitting the creature at one point multiple times, and it makes him like go like whoa, and he backs off and gives him time so he can secure the wind with both again. that stuff and with the harpoon. Yeah, it was actually a lot of it was really um a, a very what's the word a really thrilling thrilling scene a lot of tension and like oh, anxiety totally. in those scenes too because you're like please get the fucking wench going like the thing is coming back and like I actually like it actually was one of the times I was actually scared for the characters in the movie itself you're actually right. worried for them 
Then Mark meets his maker. Yeah. (laughs) Good. He he passes, and uh, David just like I called it like literally three minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. He was an idiot. Let's keep going. I love that. He's like, I told you so. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway, on (laughs) moving on. Oh my gosh. Uh, Is this when they? They finally move it, right? They move the winch, and they're trying to... But the guy comes back on shore and grabs the woman. Yeah, he somehow <laughs> he somehow grabs her and then, like, yeah. dives off. he just off. dips. He, he just, has it. They come out. They're like, yeah. no, he's got her. And then he just dumps into the water. Yeah. Like, nobody's... Like, no problem. It, it looks issue. so awkward to me. It looks yeah. like he didn't jump. It looks like he kind of just tipped off the edge <laughs> and, and, like, brought her with <laughs> with him into the water. I'm on your boat, stealing your girl. At least they didn't do nice. (laughs) (laughs) At least they didn't do like that move, that horror movie scream from the woman when she like gets off. You know what I'm talking about? (sighs) Yeah. I I gotta say, one of my favorite parts about this, I was talking to Mitch about this. uh, The fact that they didn't cast a woman with blonde hair but brunette hair for the '50s, it's like very not. It's very different. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, they had problems with diversity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and, but, you won't see too many most leads that are people of color. Most uh, yeah. most 50s movies use blonde white women. And the thing is, with this being portrayed by a woman with brunette hair, I mean, not so much different because she still is a white woman. The reason woman, why but... they, they chose women with blonde hair is because they always wanted to dress them in dark colors. Uh, I see. So that the contrast would show up on the black and white film. Uh, that's why. And you, then when they got yeah. into color film, it was more popular to have brunette hair because it works better with most costumes. Makes sense. Damn. Yeah. That was history. Like, that was like one of the things they, well, I mean, they dyed their hair constantly. So like, it wasn't like it was hard to change. It but, is important to say that the woman in this movie, she is wearing a white bathing suit. So yes. her brunette hair does contrast that. Yep. Yeah. Maybe that was the maybe that was the point why they changed it in this one. She has to wear a white bathing suit, right? Well, I mean, like even so, like kind of like a side note, but during this time, they didn't make a con like the actors did not get paid like per movie. They had a contract with this company, and during that time period, they could have them do whatever they wanted. So like they could be working on three or four different films at the same time, even if they like only had uh, like a week to do it or something. And so they would be on these contracts where they just couldn't get out of them. And it usually meant that they could change their hair. They could change like what they look like. And that was totally a part of their contract. And so that's why you had so many movies released in such a small amount of time. Cause the big studios were producing all these within that short amount of time. This being one of them, it was like this movie. And then I forget which other one they had a contract for, but the actors, you can see like almost the entire group in another movie. Wow. That's a very rigorous yeah, uh, schedule. Yeah, they worked. They worked like they worked like horses, man, really hard. I'm, I'm glad we don't use that practice today. Well, they eventually got to the point where they started creating workers' unions, and that helped to regulate the movie industry. And then it changed a bit. And so that's like one of the interesting bits. Uh, it was definitely tied to like the amount of hours they can make you work for how much they were paying you, because they were paying these actors fucking peanuts compared to what like the, the production companies were making because there was only like three or four of them at one point. And then eventually they spread out and people started doing indie film. It got easier to film. And so before that you kind of had to just know people who had the equipment or borrow it somehow. And then they, 
those are the people who can make film. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to do it. It's not like now where you can just pull out your phone and film something and you could probably make something pretty decent you know, yeah. on like a zero dollar budget. Right. And the thing is like film, I'm glad that film has come a long way to a point where people with ideas can make somewhat their ideas come true. Uh, it might not be the best production or it could be the best production. As long as people are still creating, it's like a great thing that is happening within the film industry. Creativity has thrived within the last 15 years for sure. Especially with the, the, the rise of social media and all that people have ideas and people want to share those ideas. So it's a great, great thing. <laughs> um, so they, the, the creature then captures the girl and takes her to his secret underground lair. Yeah. Which is yeah. like a fancy cave <laughs> that he like decorated a bit, you know? Yeah. Uh, what I love is when the, when the friends show up and they just fucking blast him. Like they, they yeah. shoot him like yeah. eight times. Whoa, whoa, whoa. David shows up and he fights him. He fights the fish. Hand fist to cuffs. And he just like stabs the creature as well. Yeah. To try to try to save. Um, our damsel in distress in this in this situation, and Yo. then the boys from the boat show up and just unload on the creature. The fuck it. He still keeps going though. Like, yeah, point blank, shot in the gut like a million times. Yeah. And then and then David shows his good boy colors by letting the creature escape. But it doesn't even matter because the dude dies in the water. <laughs> uh, do they show him dying? Yeah, he oh, just yeah, falls yeah. to he the falls bottom of the, the bottom floor. and dies. That's it's, right. He's like, nah. Nah. Let him go. Oh, really? I took that as him surviving. Yeah. No, I he, thought that maybe, I mean, maybe it's like left up to interpretation. Yeah, could he could survive because he takes a harpoon to the gut a whole bunch of times and gets shot a couple of times right. and then still walks away just fine. Like That's the thing. The creature from the Black Lagoon is still there, maybe. Yeah. Probably still thriving. That's another big horror movie trope is the end. Or is it? Yeah. That's a big, that's a big like thing that they've done. And they did that in like a lot of those movies too. Like, you know, the werewolf will come back or the vampire's still around more than likely. (laughs) Oh no, not really. Nosferatu is very end of dot, dot, dot to be continued. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. They did make several sequels to this one, but they don't hold up to the original is what people have been telling me. Really? They made sequels for this? They made like two. Oh shit. Creature of the Black. Who made it? Uh, I believe Universal. Oh, Sam. They're Maybe. trying to bank in on this, and they're like, I, nope, I, not feeling it. I think one of them is like, uh, might be a prequel. I have no idea. I, I'm not very uh, – I haven't looked into it. I would it. love a prequel movie of Creature from the Black Lagoon. I would love to see a bunch of them. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, like a whole tribe. That, That's what I'm saying. You could do a prequel movie, and it would work out. As long I, as you did the yeah. practical effects for the outfits. That's what we need. For the so. creatures. That's what you really need. And then just have some really good, like, theatrical, contortionist people. Revenge of the Creature was the 55 one. And then there was The Creature Walks Among Us, which was the 56 one. Okay. Well, shit. Should go check those out. Every, everyone talks about the original, though. That's yep. the thing. The original is the, the baby. What did you guys think about him letting the creature go, though? He was like, no. Stops everyone from shooting it. It holds true to his character, but in in the back of my mind, I'm like, I thought the creature was dead when he reached the floor. So I was like, there really wasn't a point um, when I saw that. But if the creature is still alive, then that holds true to David's character as who he is. Uh, We shouldn't be messing with this nature force for profit. We should just let him him do his thing. We'll leave 
we'll live our life in civilization. We'll let his yes in, in the Devonian age in the Black Lagoon. I like that read of it. That makes sense, and it also, like you mentioned, ties up the sort of storyline, and it's a clean cut to the to the narrative. So the second movie picks up right after the creature's shot and filled with holes. Oh. And they capture him and bring him back to the city. Oh. And then he, like, goes on, like, and then he, like, gets out and goes on, like, a killing spree and tries to capture another lady, of course, because that's all he does is steal women. (laughs) Wait, so he's in a city? Yeah. Oh. (laughs) We might have to watch that. Oh, man. You know what this reminds me of? Predators. That, too. (laughs) But it also reminds me of uh, Jurassic Park, The Lost World. Oh, you're so right. Just, like... Hey, we, we're bringing. You know what a- sounds like a good idea? <laughs> Taking a T Rex to San Diego. Dog. <laughs> yeah, they keep him in like an ocean an oceanarium where he's studied, and then he like takes a liking to one of the scientists that works there, and then oh. tries to go after her basically, and breaks out and all of that stuff and starts. Yeah, and so it, it takes place in like a harbor sort of deal. Why does so, this yeah. sound like uh, what was that Rise of the Planet of the Apes kind of style movie? Where he like much could be, like yeah. gains sentience, and it's like I can't remember what's. He always what, kind of had that obsession, though. Right. He always kind of had that obsession with a woman in one of the movies the creature did, anyway. Yeah, very subtly talking about how uh, the possession is a thing for men and women, especially men wanting to possess whatever woman they're interested in. And so having someone literally do that and take it away from them was a nice statement, but I don't Mm -hmm. think it was done too on purpose. It just happens to be a later read of what was presented. Yeah. Do you have any other final thoughts about the creature from the Black Lagoon? It it is a staple for science fiction horror, Mm -hmm. and I believe that we are very uh, fortunate to see it on the big screen. Yeah. Yeah, I, I will never forget that. Yeah, that was that was a definitely very awesome to see such a classic movie and very very like old movie like that on the big screen and I, see it play out. I did talk to uh, my welding inspector today, and I told him that we saw that movie and uh, on the big screen. And he's like, you know what? I I remember when that movie came out. I was a teenager. My dad worked as a uh, what is it when they worked the film at a movie theater oh projectionist he was a projectionist that's pretty fucking so cool. he was like i watched my dad and i learned how to change the films by hand he's like yo so when you see old original black and white movies there will be a black circle or black yeah. dot on the right side of the screen yep that is to let you the projectionist know that's when it's time to get the next reel made yep and when, about, when we did see this movie Very i, I did notice stuff. I did notice that. And he's like, then there's the second one. The second one is to let you know you should get your shit together and get ready. Yeah. Because <laughs> what you're supposed to do is make it a seamless transition from one reel to the next. Yes. So if you don't do it right, the film will like come out and start flopping. And then you just see the light going through to the screen and, the, and then the film just cuts off. Mm. So like you have to like basically put it onto the reel and then it connects right into it as it rolls through. So he told me he, he watched that movie and he loved it when he was a teenager. And he said, you know, I might have to take you up on that. I'll have to probably see if I could somehow see it on theater. And I was like, dude, if you can get that experience, I mean, this is probably one of the better of the Universal movies. Oh, totally. Yeah. There's a whole bunch that they ended up making for those. And the good part about the Universal movies is they set up for the Hammer universe as well, uh, uh, which <laughs> came out years later. But 
are reincarnations of said monsters. Yeah. We, we have to also mention that um, local movie theaters and stuff are kind of at like a suffering point in this economy and whatnot. They're not doing very well, which is why you're getting these kind of like, I want to say like inflated prices and stuff because they're not doing very well. Movie movie theaters are kind of are kind of on their way out. Everyone's digitalizing everything and watching stuff at home more often. Yeah. So if you want to go out, these check your local theaters. Check out what they're showing because they do specials like this. They show older movies that you might be more interested to go see on theaters that you would never would see. And this is a way to support your local theaters. You know, local theaters do it uh, as well as the big budget. You know, and. Uh, AMC. Yeah, just sneak in your own places. snacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't encourage that. Wink, wink. Don't don't, don't go buy a five dollar <laughs> soda. <laughs> no, Mitch. Mitch knows. I br- I somehow snuck in an entire Chipotle burrito to the wa- to the watching of the Yo. It was pretty magical. He just stuck it in his pocket and walked in there. And <laughs> yeah, just dude, they on don't it. check your shit. Like you can just carry stuff in there. Yeah, they don't seem to. Uh, they don't really check bags hey, either. Don't leave a mess though. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't be that trash. asshole. Exactly, There's yeah. trash cans outside the theater. Pick up your shit and throw it away. Exactly. Yeah. That's my support for you. Don't working leave a at... half-eaten bag of popcorn sitting on your. Yeah. Don't see oh. that fucking. <laughs> ugh, I love. Gross. I love the creature from the Black Lagoon. I have a big uh, place in my heart for it now after watching it on the big screen. I understand why Brent Hines of Mastodon is such a big fan. They even have a song named uh, made after the creature from the Black Lagoon called the creature lives yeah and it talks about a uh the creature from the black lagoon visiting a tribe and the tribe outcasting it for being different and it's a very heartfelt tale but if you are a fan of this series check out that song it's off their album the hunter and i have nothing more to say i love this movie and it's a great science fiction piece i saw the creature fall <laughs> into the swamp from which he spawned Yes, that one. Anyway, that song. <laughs> yes, I love that song. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I have for it, too. So before I let everybody go, I just want to remind everyone that we're super easy to find on all of the streaming sites, and we're actually on uh, two new ones. We're on Stitcher now, and we're on CastBox. Oh, very so, cool. So Stitcher, CastBox, as well as Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, um, Am I missing anything? Uh, Google Play. Yeah, Google oh, Play. Yeah, me- yeah. yeah, Google Play Music, Apple, or Google Podcasts, like the same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You just got to search for Bringing Down the Grindhouse, and you'll find it. So you can even just Google Bringing Down the Grindhouse, and it'll show you all the links for us. Yeah. Uh, definitely go onto our Instagram. It's going to be at uh, BDTGH underscore podcast. And you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, as well as at Facebook page. And we love getting the comments, the interactions, and even recommendations. So if you like contacting us, but that was pretty much everything. I hope everyone has a good night. I'm Jonathan. I'm Mitch. And I'm Mer. Good night. Ah. Woo.